Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And thank you for joining us here on AOA, Agriculture of America, here today as we are broadcasting live from Bar Charts Conference, a grain merchandising and technology conference in Nashville, Tennessee at the Sheridan Grand. I'm your host, Jesse Allen, coming up an exciting show for you here today. We're going to talk markets with Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst at Bar Chart. That's going to be coming up here in segment three today. We're also going to talk weather with John Baranek from DTN. He's going to join us from his home studio in Minnesota. We'll connect with him and get an update on the weather forecast for the week ahead. We're also going to talk with with Travis Antonson, the SVP of Grain Marketing and Rail Logistics at Agtegra, coming up here later in the show as well. Joining us, though, to kick things off, he is the CEO of Bar Chart. Mark Heriberto is with us. Mark, great to talk with you, and uh, thanks for having us down here at the conference here today. Jesse, thanks for having me on the show. It's exciting to sit down and talk with you in, in Nashville this morning. Let's talk a little bit just about Bar Chart and kind of your your growing role here uh, in, in agriculture and looking yeah. at markets and, yeah. and data and analytics. I, I mean, you guys have really had a, a presence that's really grown, I yeah. feel like, in the last couple of years. Mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting. You have to look back to where we started, and it was actually in the mid-90s when we brought commodity quotes and data online through barchart.com. We were one of the very first to do that. Uh, we then brought that data, that web presence to exchanges, uh, brokers in the space, and eventually we, we brought services to agribusinesses like grain elevators. Mm-hmm. And and thinking about just that growing presence, you and I were chatting a little bit before we went on the air, just how much uh, your reach has grown yeah. and all your contributors at barchart.com and, and your roles with agribusinesses. We can dive more into that in, in a second, yeah. but just it's amazing to think how that reach has really exploded. I think especially to going through the pandemic and everyone being at yeah. home, yeah. you guys have really come out of that pretty strong. Yeah. You know, I mean, our, our, our focus is, is on the marriage of, of data and technology specifically in the commodity markets. So, you know, it's gone beyond just looking at futures quotes to making grain bids available for any grain elevator to any producer out there, uh, whether it's through our our client websites, our mobile apps that we provide to clients, or our own software products, onto things like yield and production forecasts, Mm -hmm. uh, advanced weather data. Um, So the amount of data out there has certainly... Uh, increased, which you got to be careful with because it's got to be useful. You got to be able to make sense out of it. So we hope we're able to boil that data down to information that you can make uh, decisions on. And then, you know, the other big thing is the mobile reach. Yeah. So a big enabler for our services and for the producer has been, you know, this is this goes back, you know, 10 years ago or so, but the establishment of mobile connectivity Mm-hmm. That's 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 huge now that you can access anything on your mobile phone and we're really focused on bringing that experience to the producer through the phone back to the elevator so they could do business. Yeah, it's it's really interesting just the overall tech boom for agriculture here yeah. in the last couple yeah. of years. Yep. I mean, we talk a lot on, you know, the precision ag side yep. for for yep. technology there in agronomy, but also on on the commodity market side and and being able to, you know, push a button on your phone and sell grain right. for instance. I right. mean, that that in itself is such a, a wide and vast yeah, arena right now. It's 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 happening. You know, there were folks that have been, were trying to do it 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you know, mobile connectivity wasn't there. Um, even infrastructure, you look at the technology infrastructure like Amazon, like AWS, that has enabled a lot of ag tech firms to build out, you know, world-class technology, you know, backbone services to provide these services uh, to agribusinesses and producers uh, throughout. So it, it, it's kind of been a timing situation. Mm-hmm. We're there now. We're able to do that. And they're able to do a lot on their mobile phone. And that's what they want to do. That's what most everyone wants to do. They want to be able to conduct their banking, their yep. farming, um, looking at maps, uh, and, and, and everything on that mobile device. It's key. It is very, very key. Mark, I know as well with the conference going on here uh, this week, you guys, a lot of grain merchandisers and yeah. more here in town. And it's kind of a, an opportunity for you guys to showcase some of the work you do and, and really just bring a lot of different minds together in one room, isn't yeah. it? 
Yeah, so you know we work with close to 650 agribusinesses uh, from the ABCDs of the world and on down uh, to individual elevator locations. Our solutions uh, are, are, are designed for all of them. And here in Nashville, you know, this is a conference focused on grain merchandisers. Mm-hmm. So we're showing them, our partners are showing them um, the workflow solutions we bring to them. And that's, it's really, you know, it's five key things. Um, it's our market intelligence. That's through our software tools. It's producer communication. That's through the mobile devices uh, that I was talking about. Yep. It's things like uh, CRM, customer relationship management. We provide that to the merchandiser in our software. A fourth is the ability to manage bids and offers Mm -hmm. and then hedge those through our platform. And then fifth is all the administration around this. So you take all these workflows to buy and sell grain. Well, you need to account for those in your accounting system and you need to book contracts to them, ideally electronically through eSign. So that's the Mm -hmm. fifth piece that we bring. And we'd like to look at it as a complete picture, you know, that ecosystem that we've provided to the agribusiness to have really a a, a digital environment uh, to run their business. As you look at where technology is in agriculture right now, kind of a two-part question here for us to wrap up on a little bit. Where do you see this all this tech and all this data going, not only in just agriculture broadly, but where do you see bar chart in the next five to 10 years, Mark? Yeah, so I mean, the key for us in ag is to continue to bring operational efficiencies to our clients, listen to our clients, build things that they need that are gonna make life easier for them, integrate with our partners, we have a lot of partners in the space. So th- through API connectivity, we can't do everything. We don't want to do everything. So we have partnerships, whether it's on the accounting side, the contracting side, uh, the trading side. We integrate mm-hmm. with them. Um, so continuing to bring those efficiencies, operational efficiencies to our clients so they can make better decisions, so they could get better pricing, uh, hopefully increase their profits. That's what it, For us, that's what it's all about. Yeah. And and I think too as everything grows and a lot of our farmers and ranchers become, you know, more ingrained in using technology to their advantage right. on their operation, right. um, things like what you guys are doing at bar chart just going to be so key it seems like. Yeah, you know, th- there's a lot of data out there in the space. Yeah. You know, you mentioned precision farming and, you know, AI and, you know, satellites and, you know, big data from machines. You got to be able to boil that data down. And, you know, we try to do that. Um, You know, the example is, you know, if you look at the state of Iowa, we could give you an index for corn, December corn in Iowa. Um, We could give you a a county index for Boone County. There's thousands of locations you could look at. And we could give you that too, but we also boil it down so you could look at a higher level and aggregate information to hopefully compare uh, the more granular information against. A lot of data. And uh, as you alluded to earlier, folks can uh, learn more, barchart.com. That's probably one of the easiest ways to start, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So barchart.com, you can find menus on there to get to our agribusiness solutions and uh, learn a lot more uh, through the different websites. Fantastic. Well, Mark, I do appreciate you uh, having us here at the conference uh, today in Nashville, and uh, we'll have to uh, have a conversation again in the future. Thanks so much. Yeah, Jesse, thanks a lot for having me. Mark Heriberta, CEO of Bar Chart, joining me here today on AOA. Coming up next, we're going to talk weather with John Baranek from DTN. We'll also talk markets with Darren Newsom from Bar Chart. That's all coming up here. We'll be back with more AOA right after this. On the latest episode of The Monthly Grind, we talked corn as a feedstock for sustainable aviation fuel with Sarah McKay and John Del Motti from NCGA's Market Development Action Team. Essentially, when we say SAF or sustainable aviation fuel, that is fuel that is produced from sustainable feedstocks like corn, which is, you know, pretty much identical in chemistry to the traditional petro-based jet fuel, but is made from, from corn, whether it's from corn oil in one of those pathways for SAF, or you can also do an ethanol to jet that alcohol pathway is also another pathway that can be pursued for sustainable aviation fuel. When I look at the the fuels market as a whole, is there's discussions around the automotive market maybe moving more toward electric. We sort of have to ask ourselves, so what happens to that ethanol demand? SAF creates a huge, huge market for that product. And ultimately, the bigger point is, is it creates demand for coal. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the Monthly Grind. It's a show you don't want to miss. 
Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America here today, brought to you by our friends at Cenex, Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. I think about harvest season is right here. We're on the cusp of it, so making sure you have that premium diesel fuel ready to go and keep you rolling here during the harvest season. Well, you can do that with Cenex Premium Diesel. Also, make sure uh, everything is uh, properly lubed up and ready to go with Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart from our friends at Cenex. Everyday products and everything powered locally by Cenex. Well, let's turn our attention now to the weather. What is going on across the country here as we gear up for harvest in front of us? Joining us now, John Baranek from DTN Weather. And John, great to have you back on the show today. I hope you're doing well. I am, Jesse. Thanks for having me on again. Let's dive in and uh, talk about how things are shaping up here. I know we have a few uh, different things kind of working uh, around uh, around the world right now. Here in the U.S., saw some decent rain over the weekend, it looked like. Uh, walk us through kind of what we saw over the weekend and how things are shaping up this week across much of the Corn Belt, John. Yeah, well, temperatures were certainly mild. Uh, last week, we had a, a nice front come through, and outside of Texas in the far south, uh, we cooled down pretty nicely. So uh, we, we had that to look forward to. A lot of us, you know, making it feel like fallout here. It was, was kind of nice. It certainly was up here in Minnesota. Uh, yeah. But then we did see another front move through into the, the northern plains, into the central plains, into the western Midwest here uh, over the weekend. Brought some showers, as you mentioned. We saw uh, some, you know, significant amounts there from, from Montana all the way down to, to Kansas and Oklahoma. Even parts of West Texas got in on some uh, decent rainfall over the weekend. It wasn't you know, the, the farther you went east, the lighter the rain got for the most part. So uh, we only saw some light showers uh, for Minnesota, Wisconsin. Parts of Iowa did pretty decent, though. We saw some uh, radar estimates up near uh, a half inch, but, you know, it's nothing overly heavy. So, um, you know, we still got some corn, some soybeans still filling out, but, you know, we're kind of coming to the end of that. So I'm not sure mm -hmm. how much this rain really would have meant for that. Um, or on the, on the flip side, as we kind of start waiting for harvest, uh, you know, if you're out there early, I'm not sure that the rain really is bothering you too much here. It might make cause you, you know, to, to hold back for a day or so, but this front's kind of just going to sweep through the country over the next couple of days. Um, we, we've got some, you know, 
patches of rainfall right now here this morning from Colorado, Kansas, all the way up into Michigan. Um, and we'll see that fill in at times here over the next couple of days. Most of the heavier rain, though, is going to be out in the west, out on out in the plains. Usually we don't see that um, as the front sags through. Usually it kind of picks up, uh, you know, as it crosses a, uh, the Mississippi River. But most of the, the heavier rain looks like it's going to be in the plains. So, um, you know, that's kind of turning around some of the drought there or the, the kind of the momentum we had towards drought. Uh, in those western states, you know, it's not going to help with the dry down for the corn and soybeans, but it certainly will for getting a little bit more soil moisture in there for uh, for the winter wheat planting that's that's starting up here now. Sure, and I noticed too, it looks like some pretty decent totals down into into Texas there and some of those the southern plains as well. So it kind of looks like uh, helping out some of the drought issues there. And we saw some good totals in Nebraska over the weekend. So it's kind of to your point, get ready for some of that winter wheat planting and more. Feels like it's going to be uh, going to be a pretty decent week. Pretty decent week this week. Right. Uh, you know, but we, we're, we still have to kind of reverse that drought momentum so there, there's a lot of dry areas out there and if you look at the drought monitor map from nebraska yeah. all the way through texas there's a lot of that red showing up on there um you know there's a few spots that are in good shape like colorado uh western nebraska southwest kansas are in real good shape right now but you know if you look down into texas southern oklahoma central and eastern parts of nebraska and kansas we've got a lot of drought still out there so you know this the, the rainfall that's coming is going to be nice but it's not going to be you know setting us up completely uh for the fall season here for for or that early winter wheat establishment um we'll, we'll need more but at least that we're in a step in, in the right direction for that it's definitely different from the last couple of years for sure mm -hmm. i i wonder as well here john uh, hurricane lee out in the atlantic ocean we've been talking about it quite a bit here for the last week or so is that going to have any impact on the u.s uh, at, at all here john Probably to some degree. Um, it did get up to category five strength uh, late last week. On Friday, it went from a category one to a category five in a single day. And that was pretty impressive. Uh, it had basically perfect conditions. It has since kind of come down here to a category three. So very, very strong still. It's still a major hurricane uh, as it's going east of the um, or, or really north of Puerto Rico. What it's going to do is kind of take a jog towards the northeast, though, later this week and weekend. And uh, it'll at least bring some rain, some probably heavy winds, strong winds to uh, the, the east coast there from kind of uh, what we're looking at right now is, is probably Massachusetts up through Maine and then kind of eastern Canada as well. We'll see kind of how this this plays out. Um, but, you know, for you know agricultural purposes, there's not a, you know, there, there's some agriculture out there, but there's not a lot. So it mm -hmm. shouldn't have a huge impact on that. But, um, you know, uh, you know. There's a lot of people out there, and they will be watching this closely. The heavy rain will certainly uh, be something to talk about because they've had a lot of rain out there here over the last couple of months, and uh, the soils are pretty wet, so they can't uh, take too much more rainfall. Well, we are talking with John Baranek from DTN looking at weather here. John, as you look a couple weeks out here through the rest of September across the country, I mean, what's your what's your thoughts if we looked out, you know, 10, 14 days or even beyond that? How are things kind of shaping up? Is there any early frost potential out there, things like that? I, I mean, what are you seeing as you kind of look at the rest of the month right now? Yeah, you know what? It's, it's looking pretty decent um, in terms of temperatures for sure. Uh, we you know, we're a little bit milder this week, a little bit chilly in some spots, at least compared to normal. No real mention of, of frost out there right now. Uh, next week is is certainly a, a warmer looking one. Uh, we get more of a, a ridge starting to develop over the middle of the country again here by later uh, next week. And so our temperatures are going to rise, um, especially east of the Rockies uh, throughout most of next week. And uh, a lot of areas will be above normal, of course. Above normal is, is meaning less and less now um, with, uh, you know, our, our normal temperatures dropping throughout the rest of the month and really throughout the rest of the year. But uh, uh, some above normal temperatures, so we don't really have a huge frost risk uh, for the rest of September. We don't really have much of a precipitation risk, though, either. So I know, you know, we're getting a good, you know, dousing of rain here in the plains this week. We may end up with some showers later next week. Uh, we may get a system to move through. Models are sort of hinting at that, but they're kind of lax a days ago, I'll say, on the, the chances for that. But so there may be some showers out there in the plains, more likely the northern plains than anywhere else. But we'll, we'll watch that. But other than that, um, you know, we don't have a whole lot of rain uh, outside of maybe something tropical sneaking in uh, mm -hmm. for the end of month. So um, 
overall that's that's good for for those looking to, to harvest here this month and going into early october but you know we need some more rain there for for a lot of the drought areas that have that have cropped up crept up over the you know the course of this summer john how about south america here uh, real quick before we run out of time got a couple minutes uh, what are we seeing brazil argentina paraguay uruguay etc how are things looking there it sounds like we've gotten some pretty heavy rainfall totals in southern brazil the last week or so we sure have. Uh, there's been two fronts that have moved through with heavy rain. Now, it's kind of hard to say because we don't have great observations over there. Uh, but from the limited observations we have and some satellite estimates, it looks like a good four to six inches of rain fell across southern Brazil uh, with those two uh, fronts that moved through. Same thing with kind of parts of Paraguay. Um, and we got another front coming through here early this week that looks to bring some more heavy rain. So uh, we, we've had some flooding uh, risks potential there for that far southern tip of, of Brazil, the state of Rio Grande do Sul. They do mostly a uh, a wheat and soybean double crop or a long season corn. They just started getting planted on their corn. Um, their wheat is is kind of filling at the moment, and they're they're a little bit worried about some flood damage uh, with that. But overall, the rain's good for them. And uh, you know, if you look outside of that little spot there. Um, well, it's not a little spot, I guess, it's, but, uh, you know, if you look across the rest of the region, you know, Argentina got some pretty good rain here over the last couple of weeks, which is, uh, really eased them out of their historic drought from last season. Mm -hmm. Central Brazil's gotten some very good early rainfall. So that's setting them, them up nicely for early planting. So really we're, we're set up in, in, in pretty good shape while well, they are down there in South America for, for a good season and El Nino, which is, is definitely in control now has been, uh, a favorable uh, influence on their weather so far and looks like it will for the next several months. So um, uh, things are looking up for South American farmers, especially Argentina compared to last year. I know that one was a, they had, they had a really tough time last year down there in Argentina. And this year is, is at least on a better footing for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they definitely had a tough go down there last year. That is for sure. We've been talking with John Baranek, DTN weather meteorologist, joining us here today on AOA. John, always good to talk with you. We will catch up next week. Thanks so much. Sounds good. Thanks, Jesse. John Baranek with DTN there joining us on AOA today. We're broadcasting live from Bar Charts Grain Merchandising Conference in Nashville, Tennessee. We'll talk with Bar Charts Senior Market Analyst Darren Newsom coming up here next on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. We'll be back with more on AOA, brought to you by our friends at Cenex, right after this. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Granton, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. You're listening to AOA for the American Egg Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. The grain and oil seeds are mixed this morning. Beans are firm. Wheat is soft. Corn is caught in the middle. Livestock is mixed, but mostly higher. Hogs leading the upside there. Now, this week's commodity markets will be focused on tomorrow's USDA WASDE crop report. That will provide our best look to date at the size of this year's summer crops with significant market implications. This year's crops are most likely getting smaller due to adverse weather at the end of the growing season, but the question will remain over whether they will get small enough to offset demand problems. Now, that's more of a concern for corn, which has a larger balance sheet. 
Export demand is already weak due to massive increases in Brazilian production, but low river water levels and the Panama Canal drought problems will contribute to that weakness as well. Now, tomorrow's report will provide our best look at this year's crops to date, setting the trend for future reports. Smaller crops tomorrow will argue for even smaller crops in October. The debate over the scope of the decline will continue, but the trend will be what tomorrow's report should set in place. The Dow Jones traders and their survey are expecting soy yield to fall by 0.9 bushels per acre to 50 bushels per acre. That's going to send ending stocks to a tight 213 million bushels. That was surely a very poor finish to a soy crop that has also had a rough start with extreme drought in much of the central corn belt in May and June. That was followed by some extreme temps and much below normal rain since August 12th. Acute dryness still exists in parts of some of the major soy-producing states, including Minnesota, Iowa, and Illinois. Traders are looking for another 2-3 to point fall in good to excellent condition ratings in today's crop progress report. And unlike corn, U.S. soybean demand has been steadily ticking up with multiple new soils to both China and unknown destinations in the past two weeks. The VIX is trading near 14 this morning. That's reflecting a bit of calm on Wall Street. And crude oil prices are probing fresh nine-month highs. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... (laughs) Hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Welcome back to AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, a diesel that doesn't mess around as we are here at the Bar Chart Conference in Nashville, being joined now by Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst at Bar Chart. Darren, great to see you in person. How are you? Oh, it's great. Uh, do, doing well, and it is good to see you. you know, we, we've talked, and, and now to actually get to meet you in person, it, it, it's, uh, it's very fun. Yeah, it's uh, it was uh, interesting. I, I got down here this morning, walked around my coffee, and uh, you were walking around too. We were <laughs> one of the, we were two of the early risers down here yes. at the uh, the Sheridan Grand this morning. So it was uh, it was great to spend a little time, catch it up, and mm-hmm. um, now we can talk markets sure. here on AOA. And you know. Very quiet overnight trade mm-hmm. into Monday. It was very quiet last week as well. It just kind of feels like this market is, this gray market's maybe lulling itself to sleep yeah. a little bit, waiting for something to happen, Darren. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. That's exactly what's going on. You know, we came out of the Labor Day holiday, and there was, I mean, there was really no reason whatsoever to be open last week. It, the volume just died down almost every day. And then so coming out of this weekend, uh, into into early Monday morning, it's more of the same. Everybody's waiting for the combines to start running and running serious. I mean, I know we've got some cutting. Or, that's the, sorry about that. That's my Kansas side talking <laughs> about cutting. Uh, but we've got harvest going in some of the fringe areas, so we're, they're waiting for more. They're, they're waiting for more conclusive evidence of what's out there, uh, and so we're just sitting. Uh, we, we, we see that in the markets. Now, what was interesting to me when I, when I did check to see how things were going here early Monday morning, we see the same thing we've seen night after night after night. And that was, we've got some commercial buying in soybeans. We've got the Nove gaining on Jan, gaining on March, uh, and really all of the volumes up front in the Nove. So again, as it has for weeks now, this is telling us there's likely some business being done, some sales being made to the Eastern Hemisphere, most notably China, possibly unknown destinations. Uh, Even if we don't see the daily announcements, say, later Monday morning, we have to keep a close eye on those weekly export sales and shipments updates that come out on Thursday, because that's where we start to see the accumulation of this. Now, you know, what's interesting, we we are seeing the the numbers start to build. Mm -hmm. 
but we're still just a secondary supplier. And so what this tells us is China is pulling so fast and furiously out of Brazil that in this six-month time frame, when the U.S. you know when when the U.S. starts to ship more soybeans, you know we might be getting a later start on it, but we are making sales. We are going to be moving some here over the course of the fall and the winter. And I think that's going to be interesting to watch closely: is how much do we move here during the fall and winter? Is it back to more of a normal level, mm-hmm. or is there maybe a little less out of the U.S. with such big supplies coming out of Brazil to China? I feel like China's that thousand-pound gorilla in the room, Darren. Oh, it absolutely is, and in so many different commodities, but particularly in soybeans. And, you know, our real clue here is basis has just been plummeting Uh, as we came to the end of August and rolled over into the first part of September. We see, you know, national average basis. We see some local basis weakness. Uh, And so this is telling us that, you know, you ask a great question. Are we going to get to normal levels? Probably not. We're still going to be running behind what we're what the U.S. is used to. Uh, But it is still just secondary supplies. So. You know, so we are going to see more ships. We are going to see more shipments uh, from the United States. It's just going to be at a lower level, and we'll get a better read with basis, you know, particularly when we add into the mix that we knew we were going to have fewer acres this year, uh, Mm -hmm. and it looks like we have. And then we had that uh, late August hot, dry spell. So production could be down, but yet we're still seeing basis weekends. So to me, that's not a bullish sign. No, and I have to think as well that if some of those, you know, demand to China, if some of that is lower than normal, mm-hmm. we already have a really tight balance sheet in beans, so that could maybe offset. It could maybe cap any sort of bullish mm-hmm. momentum, any sort of bullish rally, Darren. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, the biggest thing that, that, you know, the thing that we have to start watching now is as we look ahead to the 2024 contracts and we start comparing the 24 soybeans uh, versus the 24 corn, December mm-hmm. 24 corn, it's favoring soybeans. And so, you know, we know we're going to have tighter supplies of soybeans here this year. Will we have demand? That's the question. And so as we go forward now, you know, that tighter supply of soybeans has the November 24 contract higher priced, you know, in comparison to these 24 corn. And so... Now we'll see if that continues over the course of, you know, from September through February. And if so, that could really start to crash that, uh, that NOV 24 contract uh, once it buys those acres away, particularly if demand doesn't come back. And I think that's going to be interesting because I feel like that acreage battle's already to your mm-hmm. point, getting decided here yep. before we even roll the combines on, on this year's harvest, Darren. That, that's absolutely right. You know, every year I talk about, you know, everyone makes a big deal about March 31st perspective plantings. It's completely meaningless. What we have to watch, though, is that spread from the 1st of September through the last of February. That tells us what's going to happen, what what the general feel is. And right now, as I said, you just one week into September, We've, we can already see no beans are doing their best to buy those acres away. And I'm sitting here from a logical point of view. We've lost the business. Uh, we've, we've lost that, that business to, to China uh, for the most part. Mm-hmm. We're going to ship, you know, we're expected to ship maybe 50% of what Brazil exports this year. Um, but now it looks like we're going to try to buy more acres for soybeans. We're going to have to see a lot of domestic crush. All of this talk about more domestic crush, more soybean oil, more renewable diesel, and all these sorts of things, we're going to have to see that really come about, or we're going to be looking at a problem in the soybean market. I feel like corn as well, kind of this $485 level, it would have to take a final yield well under 170 I would think, to really move us out of this price range in both the 23 and 24 corn, Darren? Yeah, what's going to be interesting in the corn and something I'm going to talk about here later this morning at the conference is, and it's something I've I've been writing about, uh, we've got a very, I don't believe in analogous years because of chaos theory, but the 2020 through 23 to this point has been following the same path that we laid out, uh, that the cash corn market laid out between 2010 and 14. And in that previous time frame, a decade ago, the market, the cash market, it did not bottom out until, say, May 2014. So, you know, this is telling us yield is just a number. You know, it could be 150, 180, but if the mm-hmm. market's telling us it, it's plenty, it's plenty. Uh, so if we do see this this uh, similarity continue to play out, we've got some downside. We could break out the, of this 480 range and, you know, possibly take it down to 420, 430, maybe hold it 450. Uh, but it does look like there's still some time and space for, for cash corn to move lower. We're talking with Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst at Bar Chart. Darren, wheat market real quick. 
such a global market, global mm-hmm. picture here. Anything you see with this wheat market maybe finding a floor here the last couple of weeks? I mean, I, I know U.S. wheat's still not yeah. that competitive compared to, you know, Russia's cheap wheat and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it, it all comes back to my belief that the market tells us everything we need to know. And all we have to do is look at the Chicago uh, cost of carry table. And again, something I'm going to talk about this morning. We had the September, December spread more than 100% full carry, mm-hmm. uh, you know, throughout the month of August. We've got the Dece March doing the same thing, so much so that the CME's h- higher maximum uh, storage rate is going to go into effect on September 19th. That's not bullish. So bottom line, there's plenty of wheat worldwide. Until we start to solve that problem, and still we act- until we actually see some sort of supply situation grow, uh, develop na- uh, globally, uh, until the U.S. wheat gets you know better priced compared to uh, what we see around the world, I-, I just I just see this market continuing to struggle. Let's talk uh, livestock a little bit here. Let's uh, talk this cattle market. You know, cash cattle trade last week took a while. Late Friday, I know we got some. Um, Man, I, I've heard both schools of theory here with this cattle market. Some folks think that we're coiling and coiling and getting ready for another leg higher. And some folks have said they feel like the top is in. <laughs> What's your thoughts? You look at the charts and you just get this overall feeling in the cattle market, Darren. I, I will answer that with I agree. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'm sitting here. You know, who is going to be willing to buy? live cattle up in the 180s and, and feeder cattle up above 200. But somebody is. And, yeah. and it comes down to one of the rules that I have in the markets. This one would be rule 4A. A market that can't go down, won't go down. There's a ton of reasons why this market should not be up here still. While, while the cattle market, both live and feeder, should be coming down, but it just can't. Uh, there is some support out there. It continues to find buyers. Yes, the cash market is at a stalemate. And it's a really interesting, uh, you know, it, as, as we see the uh, as we see the Packers squaring off, you know, number one, you know, the the boxed beef market is looking a little top heavy itself. We're coming to the end of seasonal demand yet, and yet we can't really break the cash below that 178, 179 uh, in the south. You know, it, it just remains strong. So, it to me that's going to be fascinating to watch play out. Feeders are just you know they they posted another mm-hmm. bullish week last week. Uh, it's going to be interesting. I wouldn't want to be the one buying. But I certainly don't want to be the one selling up here because you can get run over so easily. And I wonder, too, uh, and I've mentioned this to a few folks here the last uh, couple of weeks. We might have talked about this last week is that, you know, Labor Day is over. Grilling Mm -hmm. demand is over. What's that going to mean for beef, for the hog market, Mm -hmm. for chicken, turkey, etc.? You know, all these different proteins. What's that going to mean here is uh, the BLT seasonal is basically over at this point. Yeah, you know, it will be be interesting to watch. But, But, you know, one of the things that I like to use... I know there's a thousand economic indicators. My son and I were just talking about this last night. You know, he doesn't look at any of them. I don't look at any of them. But what I do look at for an economic indicator is the boxed beef market. And it doesn't matter really what we what we talk about, but consumerism here in the United States is just red hot still. And yeah. so you don't see people backing away from going to, you know, steakhouses, from buying steaks. You know, even as we move through the grilling season, there's no fear out there at the price of, of beef at this point. So, you know, to me, that is a bullish economic indicator uh, that folks aren't afraid of higher priced protein. They're not necessarily immediately going to the chicken or the poultry or the or the or the pork or anything like that. They're they're staying with the beef. And, and mm-hmm. I think as long as that continues to happen overall, uh Yes, there's going to be some residual support to the uh, to the other proteins, but you know, again, it, it, to me, it's just a good economic read for the U.S. as a whole. Someone wants a steak; they're going to get a steak. Absolutely, that's the way that's the they're, way it goes. They're not going to buy a chicken <laughs> breast if they want a steak. That's just how it is. And nothing against the chicken industry. I mean, yep. there's sometimes you know we're in Nashville. Nashville hot chicken just sometimes hits the spot. That is very very <laughs> true. Darren Newsom, senior market analyst at Bar Chart. Darren, great to catch up with you. We'll talk to you next week. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks, Jesse. We'll be back with more here on AOA right after this. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. 
We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. win. We, we, we we are are the the Foundation Foundation Fighting Blindness. Blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. On the latest episode of The Monthly Grind, we talked corn as a feedstock for sustainable aviation fuel with Sarah McKay and John Del Monte from NCGA's Market Development Action Team. Essentially, when we say SAF or sustainable aviation fuel, that is fuel that is produced from sustainable feedstocks like corn, which is you know pretty much identical in chemistry to the traditional petro-based jet fuel, but is made from, from corn, whether it's from corn oil in one of those pathways for SAF, or you can also do an ethanol to jet. But that alcohol pathway is also another pathway that can be pursued for sustainable aviation fuel. When I look at the, the fuels market as a whole, is there's discussions around the automotive market maybe moving more toward electric. We sort of have to ask ourselves, so what happens to that ethanol demand? SAF creates a huge, huge market for that product. And ultimately, the bigger point is, is it creates demand for coal. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the Monthly Grind. It's a show you don't want to miss. Do you know how much one stock of wheat is worth? Well, you're about to find out. Wheat is a member of the grass family that produces a dry, one-seeded fruit commonly called a kernel. There are about 1 million kernels of wheat in a bushel, about 50 kernels per stock, which if we do the math is about 20,000 stocks of wheat per bushel. That means that if a bushel is worth $8, then each stock is worth about 0.04 cents. So, you would need 2,500 wheat stocks to equal $1. Now that one bushel of wheat will yield approximately 42 pounds of white flour or 60 pounds of whole wheat flour. A bushel of wheat makes about 42 pounds of pasta or 210 servings of spaghetti. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. And in the United States, one acre of harvested land yields an average of around 45 to 50 bushels of wheat. So if you ever wondered how much one stock of wheat was worth, now you know. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. 
And welcome back to AOA here today, brought to you by our friends at Senex. Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Joining us now, Travis Antonson, SVP of Grain Marketing and Rail Logistics with AgTegra Cooperative here at the Bar Chart Conference in Nashville. Travis, great to talk with you. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks. Uh, good to talk to you as well. I appreciate the time. Let's uh, let's dive in a little bit. Harvest is here, I, I think, for lack of a better term. It's it's here or will be within the next week or so for corn and beans especially. I know we've seen some spring wheat harvest already in the northern plains. But uh, just thinking about it's that time of year. A lot of folks are excited. They're they're anxious. They want to get out in the field and, and get this crop in the bin and, and you know move on to, to next year, so to speak. But we got to talk just about how things are looking here heading into harvest i mean basis levels what are we doing as far as a grain marketing i mean what's your thousand foot view perspective of how things are kind of sitting right now well in the northern plains you know north dakota and south dakota specifically i think we look really good going into harvest fall uh, fall harvest um we're as you said on the mm -hmm. cusp of soybean harvest and even some corn is is getting close in the southern part of the state um so yeah a lot of excitement um, we've got good rains throughout most of the state, mm -hmm. um, throughout most of the summer, so we look pretty good, um, which we look for a, a decent crop to handle uh, coming up in here in probably another week or two. We'll get rolling. I've been hearing a lot of talk of uh, some producers saying, well, they're going to sell beans off the combine, store corn, just with the way the market kind of looks as a whole right now, basis levels, et cetera, especially basis levels. I think west of the Mississippi have really kind of pulled back a bit. I, what's your take? Are you hearing some of that same chatter right now, Travis? Yeah, we're hearing the same thing, seeing the same thing as well. You know, we, we're positioned kind of in the western corn belt, so the the PNW export program is pretty important to us, mm -hmm. and we're probably more concerned about the the slow pace of getting exports uh, on the books here, as we're getting really close to harvest, and we're pretty light on export sales, um, which is also kind of driving basis values pretty wide uh, here as we as we roll into harvest. Well, I know another thing that is on the minds, of course, you mentioned the PNW is logistics, and how are logistics going to be? Here, as we get to fall harvest and moving some of that grain, I'm sure yourself with Integra, you guys are thinking about that as well. We're hearing the chatter and the talk of low water levels on the Mississippi River. So if we continue to see those low levels, could that put some issues and some strain on rail potentially? You handle rail logistics for Integra. I mean, what's your thoughts there? How are things looking with rail right now? Uh, it feels okay today. Um, you know, we're we're keeping an eye on the river as well because, you know, it's almost setting up like last year with low water levels and it shifted a lot of that execution of, of U.S. exports off the PNW versus mm -hmm. the Gulf, which, you know, put a pretty good strain on our rail system. Uh, I think we handled it pretty well until we were dealt some pretty tough weather situations in December and January. Yeah. So I think Mother Nature probably holds the upper hand, but uh, I think with where the rail carriers are at with capacity and cars and and crews, mm -hmm. I, I think we're cautiously optimistic as we roll into harvest. I was going to say, it feels like everywhere across the country, we've, you know, kind of, we've cut through the backlog uh, that we had of issues with crews, not having enough folks uh, ready to go, and then getting, you know, grain cars to facilities and getting them moved out to export facilities and more. It feels like we've kind of cut some of that backlog, Travis. Yeah, and I think through the last year, you know, our export program's pretty been pretty light, so we've you know, the demand for mm -hmm. rail cars has been pretty slow as, you know, most of our corn stayed domestic or got, got uh, consumed by the domestic local processors as well. So. And, and I, I feel like, you know, we'd heard some talk, uh, especially, I want to say last year, but even a little bit this spring, there was some talk about moving grain from the eastern corn belt to the west as feedlot country, per se, which is some of the, the lack of, you know, grain being available, et cetera. I mean, are you expecting we're going to see anything like that this year? It feels like, like you had alluded to earlier, we got a pretty good crop in parts of the Dakotas, and it'd be interesting to watch Iowa, Nebraska, Minnesota, et cetera, but it feels like we might not have to do a lot of that this year. It feels like less than last year. Yeah. You know, most of South Dakota's corn you know, stayed within the United States and fed cows and fed livestock or ethanol uh, versus export. So mm -hmm. um, we could be setting ourselves up something fairly similar to that, but today it doesn't feel as strong as that poll was last year. 
We talked a bit earlier with uh, Darren Newsom about just some of the demand aspects. And obviously, China's a thousand pound gorilla in the room. And, you know, with maybe low water levels in the Mississippi, we could utilize the PNW more to move grain out, depending on that demand picture. I mean, what is your thoughts on the overall demand picture right now? It just feels like even though we're picking up some soybean sales, it's still not that robust when it comes to demand for U.S. commodities because of such a big South American crop. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we see it every week. And China bought uh, South American beans last week again for that November, December time slot, Mm -hmm. which is typically, you know, the window that we own. So it's concerning. You know, we're, I keep saying, cautiously optimistic on on demand. Uh, When it does pop up, we're going to have to execute because our window is getting tighter and tighter as we roll into spring, I think. Well, watching some of that demand more moving forward, and obviously a lot of folks getting ready to roll the combines here. Travis, before we wrap it up, if you had any advice for folks as they're getting ready for harvest here and they're working with their uh, their brokers and their marketing folks at you know a cooperative such as Agtegra, et cetera, and kind of making their plan for deliveries and more and everything else, I mean, I mean, what would you tell folks as they're getting ready for fall harvest here? Well, first and foremost, be safe. You know, the days get long. Yep. Uh, be safe in the field. Um, but you know, being in, being in touch with uh, with your your local grain buyers, your your local grain marketers, because uh, there's a lot of local differences in pricing and and uh, demand points. So you know, mm-hmm. being in touch to, and in tune to take advantage of most of that. And and having uh, having a couple plans in place too, because we obviously know, hey, having plan A and something goes wrong, having plan B, C, D, E, and F, et cetera, yep. uh, is always a good thing, isn't it? Yeah, being flexible, being willing to try something different. And I would have to think too, uh, working with their local cooperatives such as Agtegra to start making some of those decisions for next year. I got to think that's on a lot of folks' minds right now too. Yeah, there's opportunities for 24. You know, guys are starting to price fertilizer as well, so. You know, we've been pushing to uh, take care of some corn sales for 24, yeah. locking in that margin or protecting that margin. A lot of great things to think about. Travis mm-hmm. Antonson with Agtegra Cooperative. Travis, I really appreciate you joining me here on AOA today, and uh, we'll look forward to having a conversation again down the road. Yeah, thanks for the time. That's all the time we have for AOA here today. Brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, power to perform. I'm Jesse Allen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA Agriculture of America. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering, and your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe... Someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.